Good morning and welcome to episode 48 of Speech Without Remembrance, a speech therapy podcast by Chris Bain. Um After feedback, I decided to drop the background music. Um, I, I liked it from a kind of a, a consistency brand perspective, but um, I appreciate that I record these whilst often whilst distracted by doing something else. I'm not sat, in a, sat by my computer recording these and never, ever, ever in a quiet environment except when I'm doing an assessment. Um, and therefore, uh, the background music I think was distracting from what I was um, kind of what I was saying, and whether what I was saying was interested or not is always um, less helpful when there's even more distraction. Um, so, from a kind of a, an auditory processing perspective, I, I, the feedback that I've had is to drop the um, background music. So I've done that. Um, so. I wanted to just reflect on a recent hearing that I had um, in which the, the only kind of contention um, in terms of the appeal was speech therapy. So the placement had been agreed, the occupational therapy had been agreed, um, the once one teaching assistant had been agreed, but speech therapy hadn't been agreed. And all the way up to the tribunal, I had it booked in. I was like, no chance is this going to go to a tribunal? Um, I had the date booked in, but I also had something else booked in on that date because I thought, there's no way that the local authority is not going to concede on this point. The difference in hours was, so <coughs> my um, <coughs> a colleague in the NHS had recommended the equivalent of 12 and a half hours per year. I had recommended 18 hours per year, but the form in which the hours were being recommended was different so um, this was a, a young chap with Down Syndrome Fan- phenomenal little boy um, and I could see that <clears throat> from an attention perspective the absolute maximum with bells and whistles was going to be 30 minutes in terms of an effective therapy session <clears throat> sorry for the cough um, and therefore I recommended a 30 minute therapy session it's observed by the teacher assistant that, that were then replicated. And I didn't just go for random therapy, therapy sessions. There's, it was there's an overall package. The attention level as dic- was, for me, dictating the, le- the, the length of the session. What my colleague had recommended, which fit more within, kind of from a logistical perspective, was one hour session, one hour sessions. So less frequent, but one hour, versus more frequent, half an hour. So there's not, in my mind, there wasn't much in it because the program was agreed. The review with the review with the program was agreed. The um, annual reassessment for the annual review was agreed. Um, the level of the skill set of the therapist was agreed. So there wasn't really much in it. But what was apparent leading up to the tribunal was I couldn't find anywhere that this this the difference in recommendations had been stated by another therapist. So I'm sat there with the solicitor, I was like, okay, where have these recommendations come from? And they hadn't come from a speech therapist. They well, they, they technically come from a speech therapist. They were they were based on how often the child had been seen by an independent therapist and then adopted by the local authority as a stance as to how often that child needed to be seen. But in, there's no recommendations from the local authority of the NHS therapist stating what their position was. So leading up to the tribunal, I'm saying there's no way they can defend 
that position because it's never actually been recommended by a therapist. Um, it was an informal agreement between parents and the independent therapist, um, and that 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 the, the the kind of duration session was based on training and intervention um, and assessment. So you had a whole wraparound session, um, which wasn't as frequent as what I'd recommended, um, and. It was home based and it had links in school. So I mean, as 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 an independent therapist, they would they were doing what they felt was right. So I'm not there to question that. But this is what the local authority adopted as right. This is what the child needs. But couldn't didn't have a single reference within the bundle as to who had recommended it and why it was their stance. So we're getting up to the day of the tribunal, and I'm like, no, it's still not going to happen. And then I get the witness list, the um, six o'clock the night before the tribunal. No speech therapist coming except for me. I was like, okay, this is going to be an absolute doddle. I very rarely face another speech therapist in the hearing. Um, the speech therapists, especially in the NHS, they've been pulled left, right and centre to provide um, everything under the sun and taking a whole day out of their clinical work to attend the hearing doesn't always make sense unless it's a very, very kind of big tribunal in terms of um, placement, etc, etc, in terms of big terms of the cost of the local authority. This was tiny, but what the local authority were proposing was they were bringing the, the head teacher from the school um, for the school that the child was going to go to, <clears throat> and also they were bringing a um, teacher who was their communication lead, so their kind of speech language lead, but not speech therapist. And so my evidence was was put forward, uh, my recommendations were put forward, the local authorities' um, evidence was put forward, but no recommendations with regards to intervention, whether that be formal, informal assessment, none of that. So this particular local authority, sorry, I, I, got, I got a call, it cuts off when you get a call. So this particular local authority, um, had, on their witness list, there was the school head teacher and the, the, the teacher who's kind of leads on communication. So I gave my evidence in the hearing, um, which was just kind of going through the child's scores, going through why I'd recommended, why I recommended in terms of frequency and duration, um, how I saw each session in terms of what type of therapy approach the therapist might take. Um, I had the, the local authority representative tried to push me on exactly what the, the therapist would do in each session in terms of resources. I gave a broader guide to that because I said that as, a, as an independent therapist, I have access to whatever resources I have budgets buy, but it's not the same for the public service because obviously we have much, there may be a more limited budget in terms of what resources, so I can't dictate exactly what they should be doing in the session, but there are more than 100 ways of doing pretty much everything we do in speech therapy. So um, it was then the um, the next witness was called, which was the other two witnesses were called, which was the, the head teacher and the, the, the teacher um, who leads on speech therapy for the school. And I was like, um, and as they were, they have not produced any evidence whatsoever previously and have never met the child. This, I thought this would be quite straightforward. But what transpired was that the, both, both of these witnesses who were fantastic in terms of the approach that they provide in the school, they give evidence with regards to how this child would, would be supported, um, how their communication and kind of speech language communication needs are going to be addressed. Um, but then they explained that the They've no experience in the past of any speech therapist doing direct intervention with the child, and therefore they couldn't see how direct intervention could be helpful for any child, 
uh, especially this particular child. And then the, one of them explained that as a, as a teacher, um, they've attended um, a couple of informal training on de delivering speech therapy programs, and therefore they felt they were, and I quote, more effective than a speech therapist could be um, in delivering the intervention. So obviously this raised kind of concerns from my perspective, but, I, but as a witness, I, I can only comment on what I'm asked to comment. I can't just interject. I have to remain professional as an expert witness. Um, so I messaged the solicitor on WhatsApp and said, can I, can I add something? Can you bring me in at some point so I can just add? I don't want to question, I just want to add a comment. And eventually I was brought back in. And my comment was, I'm not a teacher. I'm not trained in teaching others. I'm not a teacher. I, 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 I've lots of experience working in schools. I've 14 years experience working in schools. Um, but I'm not a teacher and therefore I cannot, I'm, not, I'm not qualified to teach. I said that what the school have pro are proposing is fantastic. This wraparound kind of communication probe, the way that they will kind of focus on communication. Communication is life and blood of the school. I said, this is amazing. This is exactly what the child needs. It's why it would be fine to get the child into this particular school. My concern is that whilst I'm not a teacher and cannot uh, kind of invert commas teach, yes, I can teach, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a qualified teacher. This, these individuals are not therapists, they're not speech language therapists, and therefore, they, they, whilst they're able to follow a programme, they, they most likely do not have the skill set to step up and step down and know how to adapt a programme and how to kind of ensure that what is being delivered is as effective as possible. And there's a reason why speech therapists have a role and we, we spend three to four years training and then have years and years of honing our skills as speech therapists and why teachers have their role and these are two very different roles and teachers are incredibly brilliant at what they do but so are speech therapists and I said whilst I'm often in a tribunal arguing that a teaching assistant should not take the lead in speech therapy I said I, I, I too am kind of concerned that the head teacher or the teacher will be taking the lead in speech therapy and whilst I was assured that they've got good links with speech therapy um, they don't have any kind of in-house speech therapists within this particular school and they don't have any real access to speech therapy other than this, what, what had been proposed. Um, I said I was very concerned. I said I, I felt as a therapist that the speech and language therapy needs this child should be led by the therapist. I said half an hour in terms of intervention is a drop in the ocean across the whole week. Um, and therefore, yes, it's, um, it, it will be led by the speech therapist, but the vast majority of the speech therapist work will be going on in school, but also replicating what the therapist is modeling in each session. Because the therapy, in the, the therapy sessions, yes, they are therapy, but they are modeling sessions, so that it can be replicated by the person who picks that up. So, so I'm hoping, uh, we, we'll, we'll find out soon, I'm hoping that my argument was persuasive enough, um, but also, we drew, we drew kind of uh, an underline the fact that the local authority's position from a speech therapy perspective was never recommended by a speech therapist. So when, when I was questioned by the local authority rep as to why I had recommended X, Y, and Z, I was able to bring, bring in kind of, um, kind of anecdotal evidence um, with regards to the assessment in terms of how long the child's able to attend for. Um, I was able to reflect on 
the agreement, whole agreement between mine and the NHS therapist reports with regards to there being the presence of a language disorder, presence of kind of um, difficulty with social interaction, social communication skills. So we were seeing the same child, and but we were seeing the same child, and mine was a kind of a thirty-page kind of appeal-ready report, whereas the my, my colleague had produced a report that kind of it was from annual review to annual review. So they were they were able to state what had happened. Um, state what their plans were, but hadn't quantified or specified how what that would actually look in the ACP. So there was no quantification or specification with regards to how often that child was seen from that point onwards. Um, and, I th- and maybe it's an informal agreement. I don't know how it works. But these recommendations to local authorities were kind of leading us to believe had been written by a speech therapist in the NHS had never ever been written down by anybody. So. We had to underline this fact to the judge that essentially the local authority are fighting for recommendations that have never been written by an expert, so they've never been written by a speech therapist, versus my very, very similar recommendations, but have, but reflect the child's kind of attention levels that had been written by myself and I had assessed the child. Um, so. So yeah, that, that was a kind of a, it's a recent appeal um, and it's, it was a quite peculiar appeal. I'm still shocked they went all the way to the tribunal. Lots of more complex cases don't actually go to tribunal, but I do. So at the moment I'm doing, well, I'd say about 27, 28 appeal assessments a month um, and only doing, I'd say approximately 5% of them go to actual assessment, um, to the tribunal itself. Most are listed to tribunal, but very few actually get there on the fine, finally on the day. And the local authority will concede before that, or there'll be some form of negotiation between the legal parties that allow uh, the majority of what's been kind of recommended to be put into the education healthcare plan onto the statement. Right, have a lovely day, everybody. Take care.